Well, it's hard to believe that another year is upon us. You know, actually, we say that every year, don't we? So maybe it's not as hard to believe as I think it is. Um, every time one year comes to an end and a new one begins, we tend to do two things. Uh, we reflect on the previous year, and we make New Year's resolutions. And so in reflecting on 2021, um, the year started with unrest in the nation's capital on January 6th, uh, but we did get a new president. Um, our battle with COVID continued, but things did start to open up a little bit, um, although we ended the year with uh, Omicron surge. Um, we, other things that happened in 2021 is we withdrew from Afghanistan. That didn't go exactly as planned. Um, also what happened in 2021, Summer Olympics. Don't know if you remember that the Olympics happened last year. We also reflect on famous people um, who died in 2021. Uh, Betty White, Desmond Tutu, Tommy Lasorda, Colin Powell, Beverly Cleary, Hank Aaron, John Madden, Walter Mondale, Bob Dole, uh, James Michael Tyler. Uh, you guys know James Michael Tyler? Gunther from Friends, Gunther from Friends. I know he doesn't belong in the same list as Desmond Tutu, but it depresses me that Gunther from Friends is no longer with us. Uh, I'm a sports junkie, so I reflect on sports championships of 2021. Uh, the uh, Baylor men's team won the NCAA basketball championship. Uh, the Stanford women's team won theirs. Uh, the college football champions last year was Alabama. Again, they're in the game next week too. Um, Super Bowl champions last year was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady, again. Um, the, in the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA championship last year. First time in my life. Very excited about that. The Atlanta Braves won the World Series. The Tampa Bay Lightning won uh, the NHL championship. So the city of Tampa Bay had a pretty good sports year last year. Um, so we do. We do these kinds of things as we reflect on the previous year. And then we make resolutions for 2022. Uh, resolutions like to exercise more, to lose weight, or to go back to school, or spend more time with my family, or pray more. I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. Um, and then most of our resolutions will die before the end of the month. Actually, somebody told me uh, like the second Friday in January is when most resolutions end. Um, you know, I uh, have got, spent a lot of time in the gym this past year. I actually went on average three to four times a week. Uh, some of those times that I went to the gym, I actually exercised, so I felt pretty good about that. Uh, in January, the gym is packed. Um, and, you know, it's that huge New Year resolution surge. And you look around and ask, who are all these people? And by March, they're all gone. It's done. Um, so we reflect on the past. We make resolutions that usually don't last. And I would just like for us this morning to consider a third option. Um, one of our directives from our new vision is to be future-focused, where we continually adapt uh, to engage every generation. What would it look like? for us to be future focused as we begin a new year, as we begin 2022. The passage for this morning comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 to 18. Uh, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you. 2 Kings is about a third of the way through the Bible. It's conveniently right after 1 Kings. Uh, you can also look the passage up on your phones. Now, this passage is about two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And there's a good chance I'm going to mix up their names at least once this morning. Now, Elijah, Elijah is considered one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, and Elisha is his successor. Um, and so just as 2021 ends, 
and 2022 begins, 2 Kings chapter 2 is a baton passing moment when Elijah's ministry ends and Elisha's ministry begins. Our scripture reader for this morning is Madison Brubaker. Madison, if you can make your way up to the podium. As she does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Um, We read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives, and we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so, Madison, whenever you're ready, please read 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 to 18. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it into two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He stood, sorry, he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now the Lord the God of Elijah, he asked, when he struck the water, he divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho, who were watching, said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned, Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? Madison, thank you very much. You may be seated. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? That is a common question that we ask kids. Um, When my kids finished kindergarten, the year-end program included every kid from their class coming to the front Um, of the stage and sharing their name and what they wanted to be when they grew up. The answers included things like teacher and police officer and doctor and fireman and pilot. Um, We are so interested in what kids want to be when they grow up, and that's because we are interested in their future potential. What could happen next for these kids? What is in store for them in the future? Um, I tend to look at the future in terms of decades. That's how I kind of look at what's coming ahead. I look at it decades at a time. Um, Every decade gives us a chance to ask a similar question. Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, a similar question would be, well, what does the future hold for me? What will my life be like in 10 years? So if you're around the age 20, 
Well, in the next 10 years, there's a good chance that you'll get married, that you'll be in your career. Maybe you might even have kids. Um, if you're around age 30, in the next 10 years, you should be well into your career. Uh, your kids will be growing up, and maybe you've moved around a couple times. Uh, if you're around age 40, in the next 10 years, you will become closer to retirement than high school. Sorry to tell you that, but it's true. That happens in your 40s. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> that's it. That's all that's going to happen. No, maybe your kids are in college, that kind of stuff. Uh, if you're around age 50, in the next 10 years, you'll be getting ready for retirement. Um, your kids will be married. Uh, there's a chance you'll have grandchildren. If you are age 60-ish, in the next 10 years, good chance you will be retired, uh, and your grandchildren will be growing up. And if you are around age 70 in the next 10-ish years, you'll have all sorts of traveling to do, crossing off things off your bucket list, grandchildren getting married, maybe even having great-grandchildren. And while we remember and learn from the past, the question of what's next is always in front of us. This story of Elijah and Elisha is a what's next story. As Elijah's time comes um, to an end as prophet, there's this focus on, well, what's next then for Elisha? And before we dive into that, it is important to remember the past because as the old saying goes, if we don't remember the past, we are doomed to repeat it. And so let us just remember, what did Elijah do? And in order to appreciate what Elijah did and who he was, we need to know the time and circumstances he lived in. Elijah lived in the time when the rulers of Israel did evil in God's sight. King Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and he and his wife Jezebel worshipped the god Baal. And Baal worship included things like child sacrifice. It was an abomination to the Lord. Ahab and Jezebel, even though they were king and queen of Israel, they were enemies of God. And what happens when the king and queen of God's people make themselves enemies of God? Well, that's where the prophet Elijah comes in. And just going back to the passage we just read, seeing the end of Elijah's time as prophet, uh, rereading verses 9 through 12. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Well, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Well, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And then he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. What was it about Elijah that Elisha would want a double portion of his spirit? What was it about Elijah that God would bring him to heaven without experiencing death? What was it about Elijah that would cause Elisha to tear his garment in two when he was gone. Well, Elijah was the personification of being zealous for the Lord. That guy had chutzpah. When King Ahab and Jezebel established Baal worship in Israel, Elijah goes to them and says, it will not rain until I say so. 
He doesn't say it will not rain until God says so. He says it will not rain until I say it will rain. And you know something? It doesn't rain. Uh, the Twin Falls County Commissioner, some of you know, declared December 19th to 25th as a time for all residents of the county to pray, to pray for rain and snow. How much snow have we gotten since December 25th? Okay? Now, imagine, imagine if the commissioners had said, it won't stop snowing until we say so. Okay? Might hurt their election chances, but... If they were to say that, and then imagine if it literally didn't stop snowing. Well, that's what Elijah did with the drought, saying it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain, and then it doesn't rain. And during that drought, Elijah is fed by ravens. He goes to a widow and raises her son from the dead, and then he challenges Ahab and Jezebel to bring 400 prophets of Baal to a place called Mount Carmel, and he says, let's set up an offering on an altar. Let's each of us set up our own off altar, offering on each of our altars, and your prophets can call on Baal, and I will call on the Lord. And whichever God consumes the offering, that is the true God. And so Elijah runs up the mountain, sets up an altar, slaughters a bull, and after the prophets of Baal fail to summon their God, Elijah pours 12 large jars of water on his offering, and then calls on the Lord, and the fire of the Lord consumes everything on his altar. And the people declare, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah has all 400 prophets of Baal killed. And then Elijah goes up to Ahab and he says, now it can rain. And it does. Elijah had chutzpah. He was a personification of being zealous for God. And then, shortly before the passage we read this morning, before he's taken up to heaven, another king of Israel gets injured in a fall. And rather than calling on the Lord, he calls on Baal for healing. And Elijah goes to confront this king, and the king hears that Elijah has come. And so he sends two companies of soldiers to meet Elijah. And Elijah calls fire from heaven and consumes both companies of soldiers. And then a third company is sent, sent out. And that captain, who saw what happened to the first two guys, pleads for Elijah for mercy. And Elijah has mercy on them, but he goes to the king, and he tells the king he will die, and the king dies. Now look, if you are a king of Israel, and you are not going to be faithful to the Lord, okay, that is not going to happen without Elijah having something to say about that. So God brings Elijah to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha wants a double portion of his spirit. Elijah is taken up to heaven, and the servants of Elisha want to go looking for him. They're kind of reminiscing. They are wishing Elijah is still around. They're hoping maybe he could be around somewhere. If you look at verses 16 to 18 from the passage, where it says, look, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, don't send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. And so he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but they did not find him. 
And when they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? Now, given who Elijah was and what he did, I would have gone looking for him too. Because even though King Ahab has died by this point in the story, there was still work to be done. Ahab's family is still a factor. Jezebel is still alive. The conflict between Baal and the Lord is not over. And the servants are thinking, remember all the great things Elijah did? Oh, well, we still have obstacles to overcome. We need this guy. Now, I shared about the great victory Elijah had on Mount Carmel. And right after that victory, Jezebel threatens to kill him. And she still has the power to do it. So after that great victory over the prophets of Baal, Jezebel is still in power, which demoralizes Elijah. And so he flees Israel. He just leaves the country. And he goes to the mountain of God. And God meets Elijah there. And Elijah basically says to God, I have been very zealous for you, and it hasn't made any difference. Nothing has changed. So God shares with Elijah what is next in the conflict with Ahab, Jezebel, and Baal. God shares his plan for moving forward, for what is next. And you can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 9 where it says, The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What God is telling Elijah, look, all these big achievements, the no rain thing, the raising the dead to life, the winning the contest with the prophets of Baal, that did not do, it did not accomplish what you thought it would. Don't be discouraged by the past. I've got a plan for the future. It's not going to be huge, miraculous events that win the day, nor great signs of power performed by one person. Rather, I'm going to gather everybody who's faithful to me and put an end to Ahab, Jezebel, and Baal. You've accomplished great things, Elijah, but we're not done yet. It's time to look forward to what's next. So get going. So, Elijah is tired and discouraged, but God isn't going to revive him by empowering Elijah. He revives the spirit of Elijah by giving Elisha a double portion of it. He revives the spirit of Elijah in Elisha. And so what is next? What's next for Elisha? And looking at verses 13 to 15 from the passage where it says, Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. 
Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. And the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And Elijah says, well, that's a difficult thing, but if you see me when I'm taken, it will be given to you. Well, Elisha sees Elijah when he's taken, and he gets a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And what's next for Elisha? Well, Elisha will finish what Elijah started. Elisha will be the one who anoints the kings that God told Elijah to anoint. And through all of them, the Lord is vindicated. Now, not everything is going to go smoothly for Elisha. He has challenges in front of him. But Elisha doesn't look back. He looks forward. Now, how many of you have seen this new Spider-Man movie? Okay, that's more of you than the first service. Like five people raised their hand in the first service. I was really concerned. Okay, um, I saw it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I like the Marvel movies. If you haven't seen it, this is not a spoiler. So don't worry about what I'm going to share. This will not ruin the movie for you, okay? In the movie, Spider-Man's girlfriend, MJ, has a philosophy. And her philosophy is, if you expect disappointment you will never be disappointed. Now, it's one thing to hope for the best and prepare for the worst, but this is different. If you expect disappointment, you will never be disappointed. In other words, don't get too excited for the future. In December, I did this philosophical exercise. I did it with the staff, I did it with consistory, I did it with the Young at Heart group, and the philosophical exercise asked a question. What if God required you to give reasons for why you should get another year of life? What if God required you to give reasons why you should get another year of life? Well, one, that would ruin the holidays. Um, but if you had to justify another year of life to God, why you should get to live in 2022, how would you go about doing that? Well, what I would do is I would start pointing out all of my 2021 accomplishments. You know, my 2021 accomplishments should earn me another year. My wife and I, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. We launched our new vision here at TFRC. We broke ground on our new building. I won my fantasy football league. It was a pretty good year. Here's the problem. You don't justify another year of life by looking to the past. It's not how it works. You justify another year of life by looking to the future. I have two kids graduating this year, one from high school, one from college. We are going to be leaning into our new vision in ministry this year. We're going to be finishing the building, and we're going to be using it by the end of the year. And I could win both my fantasy baseball league, and football league this year. I'm feeling pretty good about my chances. Now, this is just a philosophical exercise, but it is safe to say God is more interested in your future than in your past. We are forgiven 
because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Well, forgiveness is future-focused. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins was not done to change our pasts. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it didn't change a thing about our pasts. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins changes our future. Because of who God is, Elisha moved forward, even though he didn't know what was to come. And because of who God is, we move forward, even though we don't know what is to come. And we don't move forward expecting disappointment. We move forward in faith, believing what it says in Romans. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now that does not mean God's going to give us whatever we want. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. They will. What it means is that God will work out all things, the good and the bad, ultimately for our good. Jesus is the foundation of our future. And in those times of disappointment, that's when we lean on our faith, trusting that even though one part of our lives didn't turn out the way we expected or wanted, it's all working out for our good. God doesn't require us to justify another year. But how can we move forward if we don't have anything to look forward to? At the end of this philosophical exercise, I asked the staff, I asked the consistory, I asked the young at heart group, what is one thing, what is one thing in 2022 that you are looking forward to? And if you can't think of anything, come up with something, because that's not good. How can we move forward if we have nothing to look forward to? So two questions for you for 2022. What do you have to look forward to? And what might Christ be working out in you that you aren't even considering yet? We have things that we are looking forward to doing. And Jesus has things that he is looking forward to doing in and through us. What do you have to look forward to? And what might Christ be working out in you? Please pray with me. Lord, as we begin another new year, Remind us what we have to look forward to. And at the same time, Lord, help us be open to what you want to accomplish in us and through us. Lord, especially those things that aren't even on our radar right now. Lord, each year brings new anxieties. And so be with us in our fear. Lord, bring us your peace that surpasses understanding. And we thank you that no matter what happens, you are working all things out for our good. 
Give us the strength and courage to live up our faith in Christ and make him our foundation as we take the next steps you have for us. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.